when I was watching Worlds, there's like so many things that came to mind that they could just do to improve Arena, mm-hmm. like feature wise and just making it a nicer experience wise. And Kenny was like brainstorming ideas too. And I'm like, at one point, it just sucks they're never going to do anything because yeah, they're just not going to put any work into the game. Right. Just none of the improvements that you would ever think of will happen. We will never have spectator mode. We will never have tournament functionality. Like they just will not happen. And it's, it sucks. Uh, honestly, I'm impressed they even got the uh, scrolling through created cards off the historic anthology <laughs> thing, right? Like I was sh- astonished that they did the work for that. Yeah. The fact that like the dungeons were like a satisfying thing to have flip up and choose like very impressive that I don't they actually know... did that <laughs> i think i only saw like a couple dungeon animations because i didn't play any limited that's it or really watch anyone play because it's not very intriguing yeah i mean the unfortunate thing is that from a design standpoint dungeons like kind of sucked and that limited format you, you could do about five drafts of it and then you're just done one of the weirdest parts about like especially not having spectator mode other than making it really hard for coverage uh is that while watching worlds they do the wildest things mm-hmm. to accompany you know they have the hand viewer for each player right yeah and then when in, when a player casts a card that looks at stuff they Scroll drop down, down the, the window top, yeah. if it's not the main person and then you look at their cards which works kind of they do it quick enough right which they just can't always so yeah they cast expressive iteration it drops down and then you get to see hopefully all three cards before they clicked one already mm-hmm. but one time i was watching and i don't remember the matchup it was some grixis turns versus something else but the grixis player is on the upper side so we're not we're not like the they're the opponent essentially yeah and they cast arrests and obviously as a viewer you already know what's in the other player's hand. Mm-hmm. You don't need to see it, but they drop it down anyway. Oh my God. Like halfway through resolving duress to show what they're looking at. But you could already see that. Yeah. Even though it's already information you have. And I'm just looking at this game after, you know, doing coverage. And I'm like, what are they doing? Why? Why is this a thing? Yeah, that's really bad. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like that at all. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 216 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. How's it going? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've forgotten today was Tuesday multiple times because I've been so busy. <laughs> I've been, I spent today thinking it was Wednesday or Thursday. Ah. Uh. <laughs> but it's just not. The woman i'm seeing right now texted me this morning that she woke up and thought today was saturday wow it's a I terrible I experience for a tuesday <laughs> to realize it'd be so much uh, better if it were friday because then at least you get your saturday back like it's not that far away yes it pretty brutal to hit the tuesday when you really thought you had that day off yeah, Tuesday is a significantly worse day than Monday for working, and no one talks about that enough. Is it? You think there's just like higher expectations on Tuesdays or what? Well, on Monday, I'm prepared because I've spent all Sunday dreading Monday. 
<laughs> but Tuesday just catches me off guard every time. <laughs> so, and I have no idea to what extent you are joking about that, but I have absolutely had jobs where I spent most of Sunday dreading Monday, and that has become my primary criteria for whether or not I can stay with a job is like how I feel on Sunday. And if I am able to enjoy my Sundays and like, don't feel like, okay, yeah, work is tomorrow. That's fine. Then. Okay. We're, we're solid. We're, we're okay. And I, I am in that situation right now, but when I am legitimately dreading the next day and it like ruins my Sundays, it's time to move on. No, I'm not in Sunday ruining jobs just yet. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Because I've been there. I've absolutely had those and uh, I have quit those jobs. Yeah. Yeah, as you should. Today, we're mostly going to talk about the World Championships. Happened this weekend. I, you know, had the fun experience, kind of throwback experience of just like writing off an entire weekend and eating junk food and watching magic coverage. So that was nice. I I wish I could have done that. But I didn't get the full... Did you have to work on Friday? Because I, I couldn't, like, watch any of Worlds on Friday. Yeah, but, I you know, I went in in the morning, got all my stuff done, and then was like, ooh, Worlds coverage starts at noon. I guess I'm <clears> taking <throat> lunch at home and not coming back to the office. Yeah. I just... It would have been so cool to just watch Worlds all the way through. But, like, Saturday I had the, the Legends of Runeterra tournament I qualified mm-hmm. for. Like, I had last chance qualified for that thing. Nice. Like, I didn't get on a rank at all. Uh, so I played that while watching Worlds, which was eh, not the best for my success. But sure. kind of neat. Uh, then I watched the Worlds after, and then Sunday did chores and stuff. But I, I got enough viewing in. Worlds was really good this year. It was honestly one of the better Magic events I've watched in a long, long time. Yes. I did not play a Legends of Runeterra tournament while watching. I did play a couple of modern leagues, and you would think it would cost me some some percentages in those leagues, but I was playing Living End, and nobody could beat Living End, so the leagues were very easy. And usually when I'm like doing something and watching something, I realize, like, oh, the thing that I'm doing, I'm not doing a good job of, I need to stop. But I realized like I wasn't paying enough attention to Worlds, and Worlds was really sweet, so I stopped playing Modern Leagues so that I could pay more attention to Worlds. Yeah, it was the opposite effect. <laughs> yes. Before we get into it, we definitely want to take a minute to introduce our new sponsor. Unfortunately, the Enron thing didn't work out, but I'm really, really excited to share our new partnership. Lee kind of worked this one. So we are super, super proud to announce our sponsorship by the Magic the Gathering Organized Play Twitter account. You know, has this ever happened to you? You've crowned a new world champion of your game, and it's a, you know, beloved member of the community that everyone is, like, kind of overjoyed to see accomplish a a dream of his. And you really just need to kind of take him down a peg. Uh, yeah, like I, I think everyone feels that way. And you know what? Where do you turn for that? Magic the Gathering OP Twitter. And we're just so excited to be partners with people who can pull off something of that incredible caliber. Just a, and, an accomplishment, and honestly, really. It's not just there. This moment was good, right? But it they've had a long history. I don't think they've peaked. I think they're going to keep being good in the long run. Yeah, I mean, if you ever need someone who can confuse one of their players for another one of their players, make up facts just at will about some of their players and post them publicly, create a a thread 
as though all of the players being cut from Rivals League had actually literally died. Like, there's all sorts of great stuff that, that you can get from Magic OP Twitter, and that's why we're so happy to announce that they are now sponsoring the podcast. I'm I'm really excited to see what they have in works. Not not just because we're sponsored, just independently. I mean, you know, I've 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 loved their product for a long time now, so it's really cool to get to work with them. That's enough shilling for now. Yeah, no, I mean, it'll it'll come up. It's come up naturally before on the podcast, and we'll definitely whenever there's something to to see on OP Twitter, we'll just make sure to bring your attention to it because it's it's not to be missed. But to Worlds, so I yeah, I spent the entire weekend watching Worlds. It really, God, it felt really good. The games were so good. Astonishingly so, because I was not looking forward to the gameplay, if I'm being honest. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the thing about the standard. You're really constricted in your deck building. You have to account for a bunch of very specific things, and your strategy has to line up against those things, and you have to have your plans. But the games themselves, and I've found this playing on ladder and stuff, I have complicated and difficult decisions like every game and i have punted away a lot of games because this format is tough to play yeah it feels a lot like a lot of good standard formats that kind of get bogged down in really powerful strategies like i remember teamer energy martyr vehicles those games mm-hmm. were really really good the mocks i think josh hunter layton was in that one uh that was like sahili combo versus mardu vehicles those mm-hmm. games were really good even yeah. though those decks were super unhealthy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, yeah. And and like you said, like team or energy, the format, not a good format for new players or deck builders or balance or whatever. But give me a tournament playing team or energy mirrors all day. and Like they're really fun. Honestly, I think I enjoyed watching that Mox and this world's way more than I would have enjoyed like playing in a tournament of my level at them mm-hmm. just because the way you reach those board states with such regularity at high level is really engaging yeah a lot of you know and it's really easy to kind of say this offhand about any high level tournament but legitimately i was watching my my tv just it wrapped <laughs> like, like you know almost slack jawed at just the incredible plays, especially, I mean, everybody played well. They're all, all 16 people in this field are phenomenal magic players, but especially just really consistently over the course of the weekend, Depra playing Teamer and Takahashi playing Iza Dragons. God, they just played like they knew the cards in their opponent's hands. It was, it was really something. I was so impressed with that. I don't know where, like where you want to steer the conversation, but I was really, really impressed with the Teamer deck, which... I don't I know we mentioned last week I just kind of thought was I, I kind of wrote it off as being like what what is he doing I, I don't <laughs> understand what's going on but he really worked it I mean every other turn he was making a play that I wouldn't have made and that's that, I think that deck is really difficult to play correctly and he did an incredible job with it really you know your cards are a little bit less powerful you're you're playing like a lower density of powerful cards because you have extra mana sources and innkeeper and just bear sentinel so you have to maximize what you're getting out of your handful of like effective cards and so that means like you have to squeeze every ounce out of ranger class in particular i was really 
impressed with how he handled that card and getting counters and just barely went how to balance his aggression and getting the counter so that he actually could kill his opponent who was gaining an advantage over the course of the game. Your cards aren't that good, so you have to make the most of them, basically. And it also didn't hurt him, I think, that he he looks pretty strong against Monogreen. And some of that is getting to play Sam Party three times just yeah. in the same event. Just crushing him day, every single right? time. So yeah, was it the same day? I only watched yeah. it twice. I wasn't because yeah. my disjointed watching schedule. I, I think he played him twice in the just regular rounds of day two and then the tiebreaker for top four. Yeah, I saw the tiebreaker match. Ugh, but that that is rough because I was... I was pulling for Sam there. I, I'm a big Sam fan. Mm-hmm. But they kept deciding that they, this was the third time they played. And I was like, wow, that has got to feel bad if you're Sam. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, the teamer deck definitely was set up to be very good against the other creature decks. Just the Dragon's Fires were always four damage, so you could kill pretty much anything with them. Goldspan Dragon just continues to be great against decks that don't have like actual disdainful stroke up the turn you cast it and yeah did a a phenomenal job piloting that deck can we talk about how good goldspan dragon was this tournament because it was really good so there were eight copies in main decks and there were eight copies in the finals of the tournament so yeah this was goldspan dragon's you know it just came out there there weren't good answers to it in a lot of people's decks like all of the grixis turns decks are and several of the is it turns decks are just playing fading hope and divide by zero and just being like all right if you play goldspan dragon i guess i'm gonna bounce it yeah wait a second (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and and we noticed this we talked about this last week like i had played a bunch of the grixis deck and one thing that I found playing it was like, Goldspan Dragon is really good against you. You don't, you have, you know, y- your black removal spell is Power Word Kill. It specifically says I can't kill Goldspan Dragon. And it's so embarrassing to watch like everyone play against Yuta and just board out there one Power Word Kill every time because as they desperately dig for an answer for Goldspan Dragon. Right. And, and that could have been an Infernal Grasp. I mean, there's reasons to play the removal spell that doesn't cost you two life against mono green and and the white decks but like it it cost people matches honestly like there were games where a player had power word kill in their hand and there was a gold span dragon in playing game one like you're gonna lose that's really bad yep especially since you these decks can operate off of thin margins especially the turn the turns deck where you can just swing so wildly yeah so I, I think that that is a big thing to figure out for any particular weekend. Is this a Goldspan Dragon weekend? Like, uh, you know, the the cuts, the Goldspan Dragons got cut from the Epiphany decks, you know, uh, and, and for, for a bunch of weekends, like, the Is It Dragons deck had a bad win rate, especially compared to the more focused Epiphany decks. Uh, and so... The format kind of forgot about Goldspan Dragon a little bit, but Goldspan Dragon is still a 10 out of 10 power level card in standard. So once you no longer have the answers to it, it it just becomes an incredible threat to leverage. And, uh, you know, 
Yuta's deck in particular really set up to leverage. Like, I got a little extra mana and this threat in play. Like, I'm going to play this, like, tempo Delver-esque game with it that the other Epiphany decks were just too top-heavy to, to kind of deal with. It also helped that Yuta was able to play Smoldering Egg. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of turns he was able to just use his mana more effectively than opposing Epiphany decks because he could sneak in a two-mana play that, like, once he got Epiphany, the game's over in pretty short order. Yeah. One thing that I have done... So I started playing the Strasky Sifka Arne... I guess Arne's version was a little bit different, but the Strasky Sifka deck. I started playing that on ladder some, started with their 75, and then obviously had to change it because their deck was built for a 16-man targeted yeah, field. Yeah, different format. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that I ended up doing pretty quickly was just putting Smoldering Egg into the main deck. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, a big specific reason for that was, oh man, I'm running into like only white decks on the ladder now. So I, I want to start out with Smoldering Egg in there over like, I cut the divide by zeros because it was bad against so many people. I think divide by zeros time in the format is at a close now. It was never going to last past, I think another set, but no, that's a four set card for sure. <laughs> You're making the, the same five set. There's five sets. Oh, it's five sets. Well, it's been, it's been, it's a four set card. It's just like we're in five sets and is kind of at the edge of playability. Yeah, we're, we're in a five set standard where, you know, some of the sets are not even a full set. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. I, I think AFR and Strixhaven together form one, one, one standard set. So. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think if you're putting Divide by Zero into your deck, it has to be for a specific reason. And it can't just be, this is my tempo-y blue card. Uh, the lesson cards are just, like, not power. Like, they really underperform. And, and and you see the evolution of standard decks with learn cards in them. You know, at the beginning of the format, they started out and people were like, I'm packing five lessons in my sideboard. And then now it's just like, I've got three and I probably should cut one of them. Also, a lot of the lesson decks, I remember uh, Pest Summoning, Maybe that, I think that's the lesson version, but there, there's something that makes a Pest and then you learn. I remember people starting to play with that and trying out that when Strixhaven came out, and their their decks were just, you know, six, eight lessons, let's do this. And then, you know, you just had to cut the card entirely. Yes. And I think Yuda's list only had, like, two lessons, right? It just had, yeah, like... It just had the get a land and the when the get and the big creature making the mascot exhibition card. So, I think it's extremely telling as far as the lesson debate goes that the Grixis Epiphany deck played Leer, so it couldn't play counter spells. Right? Mm -hmm. Divide by zero is a fake counter spell you can play in those decks, mm -hmm. and zero copies of Divide by zero are in those turns decks. Those right. Grixis ones, right? Because the card just it's not that good. Yeah, I am a pretty big fan of finding alternative solutions. <laughs> yeah, like I cutting them from the is it turns deck. I didn't really miss them, especially at the beginning on ladder where I was playing all of these epiphany mirrors and it was just like, oh, well, I'm the aggro deck because I have unexpected windfall in my deck. I don't need to divide by zero your spells because I'm getting to my giant epiphany turns like well before you do. Uh, I started feeling the absence of any interaction once I started playing against decks with 
unexpected windfall and divide by zero in them. And then it became a little bit harder to leverage, like, you don't necessarily get your mana advantage. And then you can't just galvanic iteration, galvanic iteration, Allrun's Epiphany, because then they go galvanic iteration, galvanic iteration, divide by zero. And then they always seem to have another galvanic iteration in their own Allrun's Epiphany when you pass the turn after that, so. Have you... Is that with the Smoldering Egg, these, like, Turns Mirrors you've been playing? Yeah, and Smoldering Egg is okay in the Turns Mirrors. It's, like, a completely acceptable card. And I, there's so many dynamics at play. And, and now we're not really talking about worlds. We're just talking about standard. But today's going to be a little bit of a mess that way. There's so many weird dynamics in the Turns Mirrors. I've been playing a lot of it. I think that it is important to understand all of the intricacies before I figure out what I'm playing for the Invitational. But there's several stages to the game, and Test of Talents is kind of the best card in all of the stages of the game. I'm trying to figure out how to spend my sideboard slots properly, and I used to be like super, super high on Malevolent Hermit, and I still think that card is very good. Mm -hmm. But basically all of the games that I've played now are defined by me making plays out of fear of getting test of talented and just kind of like hoping that my opponents aren't as aggressive with them as they can be. And and the opponents that like have just absolutely housed me, you know, I've played games where I go, all right, turn three expressive iteration and they just snap off test of talents. And then they just like go way up on cards and land drops on me over the course of the 10 turn game we're about to play. So, uh, taking the card advantage engines early and then kind of trusting yourself to hit more test of talents late or just playing a lot of test of talents uh so that that has been such a huge deal in those those mirrors and then you know things like i want to do the turn six galvanic iteration copy my unexpected windfall well that goes really wrong if they test the talents your galvanic iteration right there so yeah the thing that so so coming back around to what inspired this long rant about test of talents is that you can be a little less scared of running the galvanic iteration like unexpected windfall play out there if you have egg in play because then they have more stuff to deal with okay they they got rid of all of my galvanic iterations but what i did manage to do here is flip my egg i can cast a single all runs epiphany and it will kill them because i have an ashmouth dragon in play so it gives you a backup plan that's really important once the mirrors get more and more defined by I have all these test of talents and I'm going to like spend them on your stuff and make your deck bad. I, I think that's one of the things I liked most about the Grixis deck is not test of talents specifically, but go blank as a way to mm -hmm. clear out card advantage, especially memory deluge. Uh, it was really important in several of the games. And clearing out the flashback of a galvanic iteration is really good too, uh, yeah, especially... Yeah versus the versions that are using it as a card advantage card with that are playing a lot of copies and using it as a card advantage card i think that was i called it that card duress and go blank out as last week the main reason i liked black in their deck because mm -hmm. that, that was is a very light splash yeah but i really really like go blank and it i think i was proved right in the matches i saw it involved in go blank is more important duress is fine like duress is obviously a good card yeah uh there's a lot of turns that i've gotten duress 
playing Epiphany and just haven't cared about it at all. Yeah, I, I agree that Duress is not as important as Good Blank. I think that some sort of hybridized version... Playing an unexpected windfall version against any not unexpected windfall version, you feel like you're playing different formats, basically. So if you're trying to win mirrors, I think that card is incredibly important and a higher density of galvanic iterations as well. I don't think that means that you cannot run black cards because go blank is really good. And in particular, if you're running like four galvanic iterations, you can get a lot of mileage out of cards like go blank that... Really the copy of Go Blank is just so brutal. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure where I stand going forward because I do like the idea of the more Sifka esque or Strasky esque mm-hmm. uh, windfall decks, but I don't know how much of that is. I, I think the deck's really good. It, like it was brought to Worlds by a really good team. Andre went undefeated the first day, yeah, and had a really good showing until he eventually didn't make it. But I don't know how much of that is like this deck is really good going forward versus I really want this deck to be good going forward. <laughs> <laughs> I It's funny that the way they... So so Strasky got locked for top four and then the, they don't make him play any more rounds once they're locked, but they do keep giving them buys each round. So he just, you know, he got locked at seven and oh and then got to just hang out at home and then he was 8-0 and then 9-0 and then 10-0 and it's just like wait hold up <laughs> that doesn't really seem possible like on the final day uh Yuta played the first match i believe and then was in the upper finals so didn't play until like six or seven hours later and he was from <laughs> japan so there's a extreme time difference i'm pretty sure he played day two on two different days or day three on two different days yes <laughs> Yeah, probably true. Yeah, I mean, we are talking, spending a lot of time talking about the Iteration Epiphany decks when no Iteration Epiphany deck made the finals. It was two tempo-y Goldspan Dragon decks that made the finals. So probably should pay a little bit of attention to what is going on there and, and what we can learn from that. Okay, do you want to talk about Yuda's deck first or John Emmanuel to Pra? Uh, you pick. I asked you. How is that? Uh, Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about... Why don't we talk about the winning deck first? Why don't we talk about Yuda's deck? Okay. Yuda's deck was... uh, Dragons. Is it dragons? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mostly an epiphany deck with uh, four copies of egg and four copies of dragon. Uh, This was the deck in, like, the first standard episode. People were doing, like, the turns versus dragons. That was the debate back then. And mm-hmm. I really like the look of the dragons deck. Yeah, me too. Because you just get to play a tempo game in your like over the top finish. Yeah, but it became that pretty is... quickly, you know, defunct in the wider standard format. At least the pe- way people were building and playing it. Yeah, people just kept being aggressively go over the top with the turns kind of style until the mm-hmm. dragons just kind of fell out of favor. And then Yuda brings it back with just an astounding start day one lose the draft uh, though from what i hear i didn't get to watch day one obviously his deck was really good and his games were really close he just mm-hmm. ended up losing them yes and then I, just didn't lose the game after that <laughs> which is like the main reason one of the main reasons that that op tweet was out of line is like 
a reminder that you don't have to be great at draft to be great at magic. Like Takahashi is whoa, good whoa, at draft. Be careful. Like, be careful here, Chris. We we don't want to offend our sponsor. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, but uh, Yuta is not bad at draft. Like it's probably not his strength, but like I think that's self-admitted. He he did say in some tweets that he's not super comfortable with limited in general. Yeah, but he's still practiced for the format and is a stronger drafter than most people like it's very silly to i don't know it's it's just very strange but the moral of the story here is that yuri takahashi did just not lose on his as a dragon's deck the entire time it was willing standard literally undefeated on this deck 11 and 0 no losses pretty good record (laughs) one of the things that i think ended up paying him off here is that fading hope was not a very good card in this world's tournament if you Mm. look at the field there's you know a small handful of mono green decks and then it's just like not a playable magic card against any of the other decks in the field so all of the other decks that had all runs epiphany in them were just running all of these fading hopes in anticipation of mono green because you need it to beat mono green and then you just like stopped playing against mono green once the three mono green players were dead which was pretty quick except for sam party yeah sam, well luckily the the sam only played against uh <laughs> teamer so it didn't really matter for right it, all the epiphany decks so everybody was heavy heavily built to beat up on mono green mono green predictably ended up like kind of beat up and then towards the end of the tournament people have all these fading hopes in their decks yuda has one fading hope you're not going to draw it that often against your like epiphany opponents. And then he's casting gold span dragons and his opponents have f- fading hopes in their hands. Yeah. Those are always the first cards to get sideboarded out along with the Celestis against you a lot of the time. If they're on the Grixis deck, especially on um, the draw, of, I think. Yeah. Be- mostly because of Prismari command, I believe <laughs> if you put, you establish the Celestis down and then they get to get insane value off their Prismari command. It's not good for you. Uh, it also walks into Jawari disruption in a way that's like kind of tragic, and I think people were trying to avoid. So there was yeah, a lot it, of aggressive playing around of Jawari disruption in this tournament for a card that actually does not look that good in general. Yeah, I honestly kind of the card of the tournament as far as like gameplay decisions go. Uh, like I think Merkel literally lost his his second match. His, his lower bracket match, I think he lost it entirely because he held up Jawari Disruption for too long. Like, he had uh, Memory Deluge and Jawari Disruption in his hand, kept holding up Jawari Disruption and, like, making plays to, like, use some of his mana and then also hold up the Jawari Disruption instead of, like, dedicating a turn to the Memory Deluge. And then he died the turn that, like... He got attacked for lethal, cast memory deluge, and died to the attack. I'm not saying he was wrong to hold a Jawari disruption, but I am saying that decisions around Jawari disruption on both sides like made such a huge difference to all of the games that involved that card. Depra, probably his best decisions all tournament, were figuring out what to do about his opponent's Jawari disruptions. Uh, leaving a treasure in play when he could have a more efficient play 
uh, casting Reckless Stormseeker when he had access to four mana, but his opponent was representing Disruption, just didn't allow that card to, like, catch his chariot if there was any way that he could avoid that, because, you know, even though there's everybody's aware of chariot there aren't very many good answers to it that don't involve countering it and most of these decks only really had disruption as a way to do that and to Pro's deck in particular because he had several cards to make treasures mm-hmm. it's a lot easier for him to like sometimes you kind of are forced to play into draw your disruption just because here you don't know when your fifth land is ever going to come yeah uh with the Pro's deck, it's not a huge issue because of the just extra mana sources yeah and we actually saw him lose the finals because it was a game where his hand was a little clunky, he wasn't making treasures, and he didn't really have any choice except for, okay, I hit my fourth land, now I can run up this Asika's Chariot and then get Jawari Disruption. Damn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Jawari Disruption is one of those cards where it's really good on curve, but the longer you try to play with it, the more obvious it becomes, which makes yes. it worse. I have died a bunch of times to holding up I really wanted Disruption stuff, and I particularly really wanted up on my opponent's Asika's Chariot turn. But I have corrected back towards, like, only holding it up when it's, like, pretty convenient to me. And also thinking really hard about whether or not them resolving a Chariot or whatever, what that is going to do to your odds of winning the game. Chariot is really good, but you can't just categorize like, oh, them casting a chariot and it resolving is good for them. You have to figure out how good is it for them. And when you're playing Epiphany and they can resolve a chariot, but in exchange for allowing them to resolve a chariot, you get to resolve an unexpected windfall. There's a decent chance that a a good chance. I think you're heavily favored at that point to win that game, kind of depending on what other stuff happened before the chariot. But, like, you're getting way closer to just killing them than they are getting close to killing you. Yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta remember that it, you are on a clock here playing a game of Magic. Your opponent is going to assemble a clock, and you have to do the same thing. And holding open counter Magic is at, at odds with that mm-hmm. if it doesn't interact favorably with your opponent. And soft counter Magic, like Jwari Disruption, uh, can really hurt you your development if you let it and you know it's also very good to fire off just kind of on what you can get especially in mirrors if you can fire it off and you can if you can get uh an expressive iteration with it like the turn two expressive iteration that's like the best yeah yeah or excuse me the turn three expressive iteration because they want to hit the land off of it Uh, ideally it's there on the play and you get to do it on your turn two and that, then that 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 feels really good. And then you get to resolve your expressive iteration. You're just on top of the world. You, you reveal another uh, Dwari Disruption off the iteration. And you just play it as a land because you know you've already done your work. Yeah. Although, if there is a an uptick in people running Windfall, the Disruption becomes a little bit better because you really want to catch that Windfall. Letting that resolve is not good news. Wow, we didn't really talk about Yuda's deck we got sidetracked talking about Jawari Disruption and Jawari Disruption well it was it was really important to I think a lot of the games in the tournament but we can talk about Yuda's deck because it's sweet it's pretty simple Mm -hmm. it's just eggs dragons and the normal epiphany cards 
the thing it leveraged, I think, the best was just that it had Colt's Band Dragon in it. <laughs> yeah, and nobody could nobody could kill that card. There were two Demon Bolts in some of the decks, and honestly, and like people had to like keep in burn down the house, you know, just because like how else do I kill this stuff? Uh, same thing with the Epiphany matchups. Keeping in burn down the house like to kill Lear because it was kind of the same story a little bit, and also mm-hmm. like. Sometimes on the play, you just like put devils into play and hope for the best. Well, the cool thing about Dragon is that unlike Lear, it refunds you mana. Mm -hmm. So you get really good tempo turns where Yuta could just play a dragon attack, have a disruption or negate open. Yeah. Yeah. And his deck is certainly built a lot better to take advantage of that than, you know, a a Galvanic Iteration Epiphany deck. Mm -hmm. But. There is a part of me that's like, God, Goldspan Dragon is really good with other treasure generators. Can we build a Goldspan Dragon unexpected windfall deck? Windfall is that deck. possible? Uh, it's <sighs> okay. A lot so of expensive cards in that. It pile. is, but this thing that you're able to do—that is, turn four, unexpected windfall. Turn five, dragon attack you. Cast my foretold epiphany. Like they're dead on turn five. Yeah, that is nice. But you have to imagine there's going to be an uptick removal that can kill Coldspan Dragon before you're able to get to your post-combat main phase. You would hope so. You'd hope that that happens. But, you know... I would the, hope for I, the health of the format, but not for my sick dragon deck. That That is then a game of picking your spot at that point. Which sure. Coldspan Dragon has always been an okay place to be if you're good at picking your spots. I'm certainly not opposed to trying out at least some Goldspan Dragons maybe and more of a uh Strasky's kind of deck but maybe in the sideboard well he they did have them in the board uh and they were bringing them in against mono green and i think in some of the is it matchups too okay yeah that, that makes sense i didn't get to see <laughs> my my viewing was so odd <laughs> i didn't get to see a lot of goldspan dragons i saw a lot of grixis i saw a lot of john emmanuel and a lot of yuda but not mm-hmm. a lot of uh Strasky. Well, yeah, I kind of did see the whole thing. And also the Xan tweet doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know about the sideboarding yeah. and Goldspan Dragon against Mono Green thing. <laughs> well, I can kind of figure that out from context. It yes. didn't really matter the context of that tweet, to be honest. <laughs> it's just like the statement <laughs> and the issues surrounding it. Everything about that tweet and all of the replies was a huge mess. So yeah. and viewers are welcome to to check that out if if they want, but... Or listeners. I guess we don't have viewers, right? We're viewing each other. Oh, that's true. You're welcome to check it out, Lee. Yeah, I'm not going to do that again. Oh, wow. Yuta had four Shatter Skull Smashing Mm -hmm. and three Jwari Disruption. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, you do tilt your spell lands a little bit based on what your deck is concerned with. The iteration decks want to be a little heavier on Spike Field Hazards than... Shatter Skull Smashings because of Malevolent Hermit. And uh, Shatter Skull Smashing does not really answer that card in an effective way, but Spike Field Hazard is is much more helpful against it. But the Dragon's deck, especially because, like, once you cast a Gold Span Dragon, you can probably Shatter Skull Smashing for six after that. can really take advantage of this card. Uh, Do you think Yuda's deck will be... Like, what do you think the results from this tournament indicates about the format going forward? Like, do you think Yuta's deck is just the best in standard? Does it go up at 
does it not compare favorably to like the mono green at large or is it turns going forward like what do you what do you think so i think there's a problem with both yuda's and depraz decks and that problem is that they are both extremely difficult to play uh and in particular really difficult to play against the epiphany decks because you need to know when you can go for it, when you can tap out, like what is going to happen to you on their turn, how likely they are to actually have the thing that you're scared of at any given moment, whether that is epiphany combo or just divide by zero. Like both of these players played, I mean, Depra has been playing out of his mind for the past two years, but both of these players played on just like absolutely another level of Magic the Gathering than I've seen in a long time during this tournament. These decks have a really high skill ceiling and awarded and rewarded borderline perfect Magic the Gathering play. I would be hesitant to pick up either of these decks just because I don't like I kept seeing Depra make plays and being like, I just didn't even either I just didn't think of that, or I disagreed with it, and then two turns later it was like, oh wow. Like I could see both players' hands and that play seemed wrong to me, and then it turned out to be right. So I have no confidence that I could I could take Teamer to a tournament and do well with it. Yeah, I, to be honest, just wrote Teamer off entirely. Uh, not because I think it's that bad. It's just too... You really have to be tuned in. Like, you need to know everything that's going on and exactly what you're planning. And I'm, I just want to sell these powerful cards. You operate on such tight margins that you have to just be... Like, in all of these games where Depra was playing around Droid Disruption and, and got there on it, if at any point he had just said, you know what, I'm calling your bluff, I don't think you have Disruption, but it turned out that they did and he slams a Chariot into it, he would have lost on the spot. It, the game would have been over. Because he doesn't have a way to come back from that. His cards aren't good enough, he has to play this tempo game and actually get ahead a little bit every turn. Any turn cycle that goes well for them basically means that you're dead with this deck. Yeah, because you're just not as, like, rawly powerful as most other cards. Right. Like, your strategy is coherent, but you're just grinding small advantages out. Yeah. In a and format that is very much not about small advantages. And his knowledge of the format and his ability to read the games meant that he was getting those advantages every turn because he was playing the cards that would do the most given what his opponents were going to cast that turn and the next turn. And I don't think that I would be able to do that with anywhere near that level of efficiency so where does that leave our our hero well i guess before we go tournament at large do you want to talk about like the white decks that did horribly the mono white the azorius <laughs> yeah well so those decks exist to prey on mono green right mm -hmm. like that's the whole point of playing the white decks white is great against green there were only three green decks in this tournament <laughs> uh in order to beat the iteration decks the Galvanic Iteration Epiphany decks, you just have to curve out perfectly and hope that they don't draw just the right removal spells to line up against you. And it's just an, an entirely a matter of the cards on top of your deck and the cards on top of their deck. In order to beat the Is It Dragons deck that, that Yudo was playing, you have to make a blood sacrifice to whatever god you worship because that matchup isn't remotely winnable. Yeah, you have to like curve perfectly, <laughs> and and I I don't even know. And, and like, you'd have to get stuck on four lands. Like that's that's the only way. <laughs> even against the non Yuda opponents, you are like really praying that your elite spellbinder and your like ordain are really timely. Mm -hmm. 
but everybody is like very aware of those cards and you know like i you know from strosky's deck i did have to adjust several card choices because i just played against like the mori deck and then mono white decks for like 10 matches in a row once i hit <laughs> mythic it was like only those in the the days before worlds so i adjusted and i switched my demon bolts to cathartic pyres and i switched the burn down the houses to main deck uh cinderclasms and i put smoldering eggs in my deck and then every after that every time somebody played a snow covered plains on turn one or a blue white land on turn one it was just like i don't lose these anymore yeah that's, that's kind of how i feel about the white decks in general they are just kind of dead in the water against what yudo is playing even even kind of against teamer mm-hmm. i'm not super confident in it but no, I think Mono- I think part of the reason for the teamer deck is that it's good against mono green and it's very good against the white decks. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think this format will be dominated by mono green after the good showing that all the epiphany decks had this weekend. Mm-hmm. So I do not want to be playing white for a while. Right. I think you are like generally sub fifty percent against the mountain island portion of the metagame. And that changes based on exactly the cards your opponent plays and draws, but you can't do a ton to change that matchup with your your white deck. Yeah, I was just a lack of Adanto Vanguards in this format. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like that if you could actually play any sticky threat on turn two, but you don't have any sticky threats. And that that really hurts. The like the best thing is Adeline, but unfortunately that's a three mana play. Right. Yeah, three mana plays a little too slow. I mean, it's good. I've definitely gotten overrun by Adeline's, but generally that's a big like play draw differential. Whether that card is like backbreaking or just like a card. Yeah, but I mean yeah, exactly. Being having a two drop that is of that quality uh, like the most recent one I can think of is like Long Tusk Cub, where mm-hmm. you just get online so fast, and then you yeah. you have such a big advantage so early in the game that you can you're afforded a little bit of leeway, but there's none of that in the mono white deck. Yeah, I mean a a Vanguard or a Season Hallow Blade, just like something that doesn't get swept up by a Cinderclasm would would be a huge difference maker. The Mori deck, the blue white deck, it felt like he got really daggered. A bunch of times throughout all the matches he had on camera just like had mana troubles that weren't really representative of the deck and then that forced the games to go on to a point where the his the spell pierce card just wasn't effective anymore and that was his primary defense against the epiphany decks there is something to that mori deck like i, I think that there is a place in the metagame for a deck like that and this tournament i i think it was mostly variants that got him crushed in the matchups that were on camera yeah i don't hate the mori deck mostly because it seems a little more adaptable than mono white and i mean i did say that about the gruel decks a few, several weeks ago and mono green was just so consistent it overwhelmed all that mm-hmm. <laughs> so hesitant to go in on it again but i do well depraz deck is just gruel with negates like you know that's true <laughs> that's true that's true in the finals of worlds yeah I, I, but I do like the Mori deck just because I hope you can lean away from 
concentrated defenses is that the name of the spell pierce concerted defense is that a concerted defenses i I, i'm not looking at the deck list but the spell pierce card i'm hoping you can just lean away from that because it's so high variance and there's so Mm -hmm. few party members that are good that it's often kind of a bad disrupt which is the old olden for spike that only hits in sorceries yes you get to draw a card with that one though well, yeah, disrupt is insane. I love disrupt. They should <laughs> yeah, print that card. A complete, utter blowout when you get to disrupt something. Sometimes you just fire off disrupts to draw a card. Yeah, that card is—it's really nutty. I'm not sure that they could reprint that one. Honestly, it's, it has two printings, right? It was like in Weatherlight and Invasion or something like that. Did you just print it again? Just—it's even more of a dagger than Force Spike because while it can't get creatures, you just lose. <laughs> you lose it when you. <laughs> get disrupted yeah that that's a nice one yeah i am going to be honestly it's hard for me to not focus on galvanic iteration epiphany decks going forward and my plan is to kind of focus test them in a couple of matchups and make sure that you know the changes that i've made don't really screw up any particular matchup and i also think that it is really important to know how to play just how to play the mirrors properly and identify what is important in each turn of the game and and what you need to be worried about because i didn't i didn't realize before i played a bunch of matches like oh yeah this this opponent who tested talents my uh expressive iteration just absolutely knew what they were doing and just put me into a hole that I could not get out of. And over the course of the game, it became very obvious that like my deck is so much worse than yours now. And uh, I I really want to gather all of that knowledge up and be able to apply it when I'm playing my mirrors at the Invitational. Yeah, that that's reasonable. I think I am mostly in the same boat. I just want to work on Unexpected Windfall in particular. Yeah. That's a that's a card I really really like the look of. Uh, it it's just a good mana advantage plus assembling your cards. I think it's a really good innovation from the the Sifka Strusky sphere. Yeah, which I kind of come to expect now. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they they're on the cutting edge all the time for sure. I am not really considering playing a version of the deck without four unexpected windfalls in it it's just every time i'm playing against a mirror and they don't have it and i do have it it just feels like utter nonsense you're just up so much it 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 feels yeah because you get to do your thing so much faster and it's not that much worse than memory deluge like Mm -hmm. if they memory delusion you unexpected windfall you think you're ahead oh yeah 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 no there's a reason they're running four windfall two deluge like that's Mm -hmm. very intentional uh, it also allows you to, you know, like I, I'm running Cinderclasm's main deck and it doesn't really hurt me because I have four Unexpected Windfalls and a Prismari Command in my list right now. And I'm pretty easily able to dump those when they're not good. And because I, I actually am really, really big on the main deck Cinderclasm's right now because it gets a lot of people who would play one toughness creatures. But also, even against Mono Green, like, now I get to use this Galvanic iteration to make the Cinderclasm quite good and, like, eat your whole board at instant speed. And mm-hmm. I that may be an important 
bit of technology moving forward in the galvanic iteration decks yeah they activate their seekers chariot and you get them and you just sweep them you've been swept well anything else about standard worlds i know we've been talking about it for a while without any real goals (laughs) yeah i mean i just liked watching that tournament it was fun i just felt the stakes felt really real the games were so good like oh my god if you did if you missed it just go back and watch there were some really really wonderful matches and that hopefully there over the next you know a couple of weeks there will be some breakdowns and stuff like i know pv is doing some content that includes like looking at he already looked at his uh draft and hopefully he'll look at some of his matches maybe some other players matches but i i definitely am hoping for some high level analysis of some of these very high level games i'd, I'd love to hear Depra talk about what he was thinking as he was making his decisions like that's content that i would just like this this up. was the best this was the best tournament that they've produced in probably like a year or two years. Mm-hmm. Like not close to me. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. I, I watching this was a joyful experience for me, and not just because you got to like eat junk food the whole time. No, I it, it was because of the magic. <laughs> the magic was very very good, and and the coverage team did an excellent job. Uh, I, you know, I I would have loved if they had managed to pull some of the world's competitors into the booth for the top four you texted me just about like how nice it would have been if they had grabbed Paolo for coverage and i completely agree with that but they still did a good that's, job that's because i love Paolo on coverage no Paolo is great on coverage for sure he's just like the right mix of uh really knowledgeable about the game but also pretty casual about it well and he's funny like, too commentary yeah he's funny yeah I just love Paulo. He's, <laughs> of course, he should do more. He should do more commentary. Like, I mean, he should win every tournament he plays, I guess, too. But you know, if he yeah. can't do one, he should do the other. Right. It's hard for Paulo to do commentary because he's always like in the top eight. So, <laughs> like, one of the best players of all time. But also, maybe he should win less so we can hear him more. <laughs> yes. Definitely the. The weird part about magic is that you can like stay good at it for a long time unlike you know football or whatever where you end up it's more in like the booth. golf yeah it is more like golf correct <laughs> and you don't have uh the risk of brain damage pushing you to consider retiring that doesn't that doesn't <laughs> happen so much in magic the gathering it depends on which formats you play i guess <laughs> yeah i play too much legacy and I've only played Doomsday for three years, and I think I'm pretty close to retirement. <laughs> <laughs> then Thassa's Oracle comes out the next year. Oh, no. Uh, I did mention that I played some Modern while I was watching the tournament and stuff. I It should come to us as a surprise to absolutely no one that I have just locked in Living End as my Modern deck for this Invitational. I just, like, don't lose any game ones with it ever. Except to burn, obvious like that's your one bad matchup. <laughs> like on a, a a deck composition axis, yeah. you used to have more because decks like Storm or Ad Nauseum or just you know faster combo decks are the thing that Living End is generally bad at. Slightly different in a world where you have like 
Force of Negation. You're just allowed to play Force of Negation in your deck. Who who made this a thing? Most of the decks in the format are, while they are quick and they are powerful, they're doing things on board and a Plague Wind is really good against them and you just are heavily advantaged on a strategic basis. And then they have to rely on hate cards to kill you, not their deck strategy to kill you. And as long as that remains true about the format, I, I'm just not really willing to switch off of this deck. I, I think it will, unless people get really reinvigorated in modern for the next two weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. which I don't see happening. I think it'll mostly just stay the same. Yeah. yeah. Go you got to keep up on power level with the rest of the format, so you can't just play Storm or Ad Nauseam like just to be yeah those are living dead. like i mean i think ad nauseum did top eight a challenge either this weekend or the past weekend it's always but. gonna get there every once in a while and then you pick it up and you're like wait how the hell did they win a match with this they have a river of tears in their deck my opponent has a ragavan in play i can't win it's impossible whoa 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 that's when you hard cast one of your thoughts oracles and just <laughs> stare at their ragavan mm-hmm. yeah have you heard of lightning bolt do you, do you know about the text of that card? No, uh, no ad nauseum players have occurred for lightning bolt. <laughs> when you put a Thassa's Oracle in play to block, you do. Okay, that's the time. Uh, yeah, basically, I think you're right, though. Like, There's not going to be a huge resurgence of decks that are just naturally favored against Lydia End. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why it's a great choice. Yep. Uh, I think I've pretty much locked in on Hammer Time. As much as I want to play eggs, I, it's <laughs> hammer. Hammer time is just so good, and I don't really like playing Living End super a lot. Yeah, or Rhinos, which I think are also really really good. Uh, and the Hammer deck I think is super fun, way way more up my alley, and just really strong. It's one of those decks with just a naturally strong game plan and gets to grind well. And there's a lot of card choices you can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the in the challenge this pre past weekend. I don't have it open, so I don't know any names, but I know someone top aided with a. Most everyone's playing black white now for thought seasons and stuff in the board, mm-hmm. but this person went a little harder and played four dark confidant in the main deck, just instead of ingenious smith or steel shaper's gift or whatever. Sure, and that was neat. Uh, also has the benefit of raising your CMC for Tasha's hideous laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Not by much, but. You, you just need a little bit. It's it's, just a smidge. It's that Emrakul in slot 14 of your sideboard that really takes care of that if you're worried I think, about I it. Think, I think you're not supposed to be worried about Mill if you're playing Hammer Time. You can, you can just accept that sometimes you'll get Tasha's completely out of the game and it's whatever, you know? You can oh, Mill, Mill is also a really tough matchup for Living End. So if you're trying to beat Hammer Time and Living End, uh, Mill, Mill may be the one. But certainly not any of the slower mid range of your decks. <laughs> no, the Ragavan decks in general are not strong against Living End. Well, I mean, I get for Mill, like you don't want to play against Ragavan when you're playing Mill most of the time. Oh, oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's tough. I I would not recommend anyone play Mill to be honest. Like, <laughs> modern is so diverse. Like, even though I'm mm-hmm. saying like I think Living End, Rhinos, and Hammer Time are like really, really strong. Uh, there's so many good decks in modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Urza Saga's decks. There's the John Loris stuff with uh, Ran Six. There's, is it Murktide? There's just a million elementals. There's elementals, yeah. 
There's a million really, really good modern decks that there's no way you can actually target anyone. You just have to like yeah. play the best standalone strategy and have good plans or game plans against them, which is honestly why I like Hammer Time. Because even though, like you said, it's not great against living in game one or anything like that, to use an example, but you do have a plan that can win a game even in game mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I, I, one of my matches against Hammer Time, game one, like, I probably punted this one and, you know, just ended up letting them get a pure steel paladin with a hammer and, uh, what's it called? The lifelink equipment, the one mana one. Shadow Spear. And a Shadow Spear on it. And it's just like, oh, I played in a way that would lose me the game to this. They played towards it. I'm only alive because I drew a a brazen borrower on my last turn but like i deserve to lose this game because they played in a way that like they had a plan that beat me here and i i didn't do a good job of understanding their plan so like yeah absolutely you you can win game because the deck is so powerful and has so many options yeah that, that's why i like hammer time like it, it, you just have so many things you can do in a game you're a, a combo deck with urza saga grinding and Lurus. yeah it's a it's a lot yeah and and right and and saga being able to like grab your graveyard hate cards and stuff it, like it's really good. Saga's Saga's a nice one to have in your deck that's like also just a very good deck not counting the Saga. Saga's a pretty messed up card and it is astounding. <laughs> it's just like another card in modern. It's its existence makes me lean towards you know, so you have a certain number of slots in your living inside board for anti-hate cards in particular disenchants and i'm i just like every time i play i'm just like more of these foundation breakers should be force of vigors because i played game two against that hammer opponent and they went turn one cigar to aid turn two urza saga and i went force of vigor destroy your cigar to aid in your urza saga and uh, you know sometimes you win a modern game by doing that so <laughs> i don't want to give up you, you, you play this deck for the free wins and there's a couple different ways of getting them yeah <laughs> um i don't really have any more modern thoughts other than that just just a light light tiny exploration a little sprinkling of it and i have not been playing any other formats obviously <laughs> i am yeah there's no re- reason to re- restraining myself from doing other like, magic what are you gonna play historic come I on i mean i like playing no, historic no, i refuse <laughs> to let that be a part of the invitational discussion for the next month maybe less than that you can't play historic irresponsible no and i'm not going to and i mean i legitimately am having a fun time playing standard uh, there are a bunch of restrictions and i totally get the conversation about banning all runs epiphany whether or not i agree with that i i don't really want to have that discussion but the format is constrained deck building wise pretty tightly by certain things you have to take into consideration but the games itself the games themselves that i've played like it is really interesting magic and i have lost a lot of matches because of my own mistakes and to me that's like part of a good format and it doesn't make it a good format necessarily in and of itself but it provides a lot of enjoyment i mean you could say fun to format me. instead of good format because that is ac- accurate sure <laughs> like if the games are if the games are fun for you then it, it's a fun format that's that's cool yeah no and i i have been having fun uh, i can segue into like a question we got asked uh by patron which is 
uh, Mr. Deceptive Moff asking lots of discussion on ban lists and cards to be banned this past weekend. Feels like views on the format are highly polarized. What makes a good format? What are good metrics by which one can discern whether or not a format is good? Yeah. Well, I think there's just like counterexamples for anything that I could say. Well, that's magic's been in here for like 30 years. So yeah. there's going to be examples for everything. You just got to do your best. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like what matters to me. The only thing that matters is if I just like am having fun playing and it makes me want to go play a tournament of this format. And I, I guess that is, okay, so what makes it fun and what makes you want to go play a tournament? Well, it's been a lot of different things over the years. I mean, talking about standards specifically, I do think it is important to have the availability of the spectrum of strategies. You don't necessarily have to check off everything off the list. Okay, we've got aggro decks, we've got control decks, we've got mid-range decks, we can do some weird combo. Like, And now that we have all of these decks, it is a good format. It is a good format. No. <laughs> but, you know, like I think that there is a problem in standard right now. And it is that just like most mid-rangey board-related things are, are just nowhere close to consideration because Allred's Epiphany just beats the crap out of them. And... I think missing that, you miss a good part of what a lot of people enjoy about Magic. And not every format can be all things to all people, but I think there's a lot of people who are going to struggle to have fun in this standard because the ways they enjoy playing Magic are simply unavailable to them. So I think that's a key component. We might have had a similar question previously because I'm getting like familiar answer vibes from this. But I'm pretty sure I've said that the thing that makes a format good in the past is just if people will play it and have fun. Oh, we definitely have talked about that. That's true. Uh, uh, yeah. And I I don't I agree that not every like strategy needs to be present, mm -hmm. though that is a huge, huge plus. Like I combo decks just don't really need to be present in most formats. Or most standard and not, formats. not in standard. I think combo does yeah. need to be present in most of the older formats, but yeah in standard the tools aren't there yeah I, I think that's also just an inevitability of how card games work <laughs> like the larger a card pool is the more strong interlocking pieces there will be so but i have like eventually have theories if, about the importance of the existence of weird cool things like combo decks in in magic generally anything that makes you play on a different dynamic than normal game is good. yeah because that's a lot of good variety for a format or a game in general, I guess. And a lot of reason why I like random effects from digital card games, like Discover from Hearthstone or other stuff from Legends of Runeterra. Mm. That's like introducing cards that are in the game, like in the clients, but not in either player's decks. Yeah. That gives a lot of good, like, okay there's a new dynamic added to this specific game we're playing now and i have to figure out what the range is right i've never played a game with these cards involved in it before and need to figure out how to adapt on the fly yeah, like here is a card i've seen in my collection that is completely unplayable because it's way too niche but if my opponent has it in their hand because of a card they generated it's gonna be really good here like that kind of thing is really interesting and i think that's a lot of what that kind of element is what combo decks add to magic. It's just it, You just have to think about different stuff than you would for a normal game. But for standard, 
uh, not it's just too hard to like cultivate that a lot of the time i think one of the good metrics that we haven't talked about is having a diverse enough card pool that there's not a generic best card in slot for like a civic effect some of that's unavoidable like there's generally not a million burn spells in a format because you don't want to play them all together and just like kill your opponent with only burn spells so you don't get to pick between like shock and slightly better shock or slightly different shock or whatever yeah but it's it's neat when the format can have uh divide by zero versus fading hope versus like different cards that have similar functions i think that is a really good part of a format instead of just going okay the generically best four drop in any given green deck is going to be questing beast we got to max out on those before we can go any further kind of deal Mm -hmm. like it's nice if you can go all right what are the merits of jim razor versus azika's chariot etc etc yeah like i think that's a really good part of a good standard format it's just having options and cards you can play yeah and i think jerry and brian were talking about that too pretty recently just like it's more fun to build decks when you do need to pick between some cards that have different applications in, in, in the same slot. Now I feel bad for unknowingly plagiarizing Jerry and Brian because I haven't I haven't had a chance to listen <laughs> to their podcast in weeks. <laughs> I think, yeah, it was like two weeks ago or something. It, it's just funny that, that we hit this hit on the same points, but I think Jerry it's a good has point. a very similar thing. Yeah, yeah, we're just like deck building becomes more fun. And, and you know, the mono green deck in the format is not, always going to have very many options like yeah of course does make me wonder you know ari was talking about how like he's vehemently against like an allrin's epiphany ban and just doesn't believe that it is a problem and is very likely to be solved by just cards getting added to the format he is talking about how he's actually more worried about faceless haven because we've seen the effect that like Mutavault has on standard formats before, uh, where it's just like being two colors is stupid. I lose the best card in the format and my mana gets worse. Like I can play <laughs> slightly worse cards in order to play the best card in the format and have perfect mana. Uh, and then that like those incentives don't go away even in large formats necessarily. Yeah, that's my. I quit. I, I like took a break from Magic because of the original Theros block. And a lot of that was because standard devolved into a bunch of monocolored decks, mm-hmm. which are never changed. Yeah. Because there's always a best thing to do on the curve in your monocolored deck. And, and that, like, only some often only gets worse as the format gets larger because you get more capable of building the monocolored deck because you, you get the cards for the slots. And then you don't often have that much choice because it's just like, here are the, here are my eight two drops and there's only two good two drops in this color and i'm gonna play them and and that you go from there yeah pretty much and there's always like a weak spot in the curve somewhere where you're just like oh these, these are it this is all i have <laughs> yeah could play a different color but i'm not gonna i lose too much that is a weakness of like endemic to magic i guess in the mana system is that being monocolored is so inherently strong in terms of consistency that any payoff to it, I think, is it can be really detrimental. And and that's what the color pie is important for, is creating weaknesses for the colors that discourage you from being monocolored except for specific reasons. Um, but yes, to your first point of 
a good format is one that people will play. You know, there were so many cool cards in original Mirrodin block, but it almost killed magic because people stopped wanting to play Affinity Standard and people stopped coming to magic tournaments. Uh, that's the most important thing. Do people want to play your game? Are, are they enjoying themselves? And everything ends up being... That was Darksteel's fault? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't play Mirrodin for the sins it's of Skullclank. Mirrodin blocked. <laughs> okay, my, I'm sorry. Keep continuing. Uh, and, 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 you know, that is dodging the question a little bit because it is like, what are the components that make up a good format? Meaning, and, and then once you say, well, a good format is one that people want to play and people have fun playing. Well, what are the formats that make... What are the components that make up a format that people want to play and are having fun playing okay well yes we do need to answer that to answer the question but defining the parameters gotta make your games different from game to game yeah sorry yeah no no i mean that's a big part of it too uh once you have that parameter of like okay are people having fun well yes what 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 creates fun well variety creates fun both in like the decks that you play against uh you know i i liked playing teamer energy standard but I, you know, there, there was very little variety there because you'd show up and you'd play against Team or Energy five times in a seven or eight round tournament. Uh, that removes a lot of the fun. You, you don't get surprised by stuff the same way. Uh, the, the games play out really similarly each time because you're not playing against new decks. And yeah, so important component there for sure. Yeah, I, I could probably add a lot more, but it just must be talking about all the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we need to go that deep on it. <laughs> it's very, very cerebral topic, I think. I guess what I want is a reasonable variety of decks and, you know, broad archetype play styles that you can, you can get to. You know, you want like 80% plus of your players to have a deck that they like feel good playing and, and resonates with their play style. And those decks don't even need to be good. They just need to be playable. Mm -hmm. Like, people will play subpar decks as long as they're okay, just so they can play what they enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Example, blue-white control in modern for years. (laughs) Yeah, never went away. Every once in a while became good. Is probably okay right now. Uh, But often was terrible. But, like, you know... A 45% deck. Often was a 45% deck, and that didn't stop people. But, but it doesn't... Yeah, like, it doesn't matter. It's, like, defensible to play, and if you enjoy it, you can play it, and that's good. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if it's not actively good, that, that doesn't mean the format's bad, or that even <laughs> your choice is bad. Yeah. If it's what you want to do, and you have fun with it, you should do it. Yeah, so I want, you know, variety of archetypes and play styles. I want games in which my decisions matter uh you know it if you play the same curve every single time and that's the best way to do it just use up all of your mana that's not very fun to me i want decision making and i want to be able to make mistakes that cost me games and you know i i also it's also really nice if there are opportunities to play weird cards and i don't know exactly how you get there but that generally means uh, a format where things aren't focused very tightly around a couple of huge PowerPoints and like that give you the capability of like choosing between a couple of different five drops for your deck uh, based on what you want to do. And uh, uh, that can be a little 
tough to attain, I think, because some cards are just going to be better than other cards. But One of my favorite standard plays, not draft, but standard, was casting Confirmed Suspicions on a 3 of Inspector. That, that felt really <laughs> good. <laughs> yep. And a lot of formats, you just could never, ever play Confirmed Suspicions because it's just terrible. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's, it wasn't even good in that standard format, but it was a small standard format at the time, so... Yeah, you get away with a little more. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's kind of like where my primary dislike for Epiphany comes from is like you just can't get away with very much because you get so hard punished for like, I'd like to extend the game out to cast my Torvald's Huntmaster. Well, you're you don't get any more turns before once that happens. So I'm sorry that that doesn't work. Yeah. Extra turn cards are just so hard to to design and actually be like reasonable and standard. Yeah, I am not sure that they should be put into. But I mean, All Runs Epiphany very much is just like a big combo win condition more than like a full on extra extra turn card almost. But yeah, I, I, I mean, know what you yes, mean. but every every extra turn card turns into that at some point. Mm-hmm. Like Time Walk was reprinted in M10, I think. And that's just five mana. Not Time Walk. Time, time Warp. Warp. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just five mana Time Walk. Yep. But, you, you know, that's that card's really, really, really good. Yep. If you give it the centerpiece of several decks in standard. So Jarvis and I played the throwback standard gauntlet on his stream for a little bit yesterday. And, mm-hmm. uh, we got to sideboard in seed time as oh, blue green control against Splinter Twin. Blue green or madness. blue green madness as blue green madness against yeah, okay. Splinter Twin. And yeah, that that was really good. Did you get them? Yes, we did. We didn't get the full on like their EOTing Deceiver Exarch and assuming that they win, but then we get to take an extra turn. But we did get the let's make a lethal attack. We know that red cards don't save them. They have to cast a blue card here to survive. So now we get to cast Time Walk and kill them on our next <laughs> turn. It's it's green Time Walk. That's even more unfair. It's really good. That 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 throwback gauntlet. People have been streaming it on Twitch. Uh, it's really fun to watch. It's really goofy. <laughs> it's it is fun. We, I I don't know how much of that is nostalgia though, because I've played a lot of those decks. No, no. But the whole point, a lot of the time. So like we played the Goblin Bidding deck. And, like, a lot mm. of the fun, a lot of the entertainment value of it was how awful the deck was. Yeah, Goblin Building is not good. You can't cast your spells. <laughs> like, when you're matching up against Cobblade or Affinity. There's 12 black sources in the deck, and you have to cast Patriarch's Bidding to win any game of Magic with that deck. It's awful. Is that is that a triple black card? It's a double black card. It's not quite that bad. Okay. But it's still really hard to I cast. Couldn't couldn't exactly remember we in particular found it difficult to cast against the mono red deck with wastelands in it <laughs> there's also cobblade with tectonic edge though i don't think the goblin big deck has that many uh non-basic lands if i recall correctly well you got your three shadow blood ridges shadow blood and ridges. one city so you have the tainted brass. mountain no there's no no tainted <laughs> mountain the the, the I, see i didn't play any when odyssey was in or onslaught was in standard I guess when bidding was actually good. I'm not I'm not confident it was actually ever good, but it okay, did top fair. eight worlds, okay. so 
Worlds is a tri-format event. That's true. <laughs> I guess it doesn't. And some atrocious decks have top eight worlds. Naya Lightsaber, for instance. I mean, to be fair, that did like 16-0 Pro Tour. Yeah, that, but but the build that top eight worlds uh, is probably the one of the most poorly constructed decks I've ever seen in my entire life. I wish that had made the gauntlet. That would have been cool. That's been in it before, I think so yeah but it was within its own standard not like this oh crazy, right 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 I, i'm gonna play affinity against you know whatever true true <laughs> by the way affinity is nuts it's it's just crazy <laughs> like every time every time i see a streamer play against affinity on any deck they're playing they're just like how is this allowed and it's not even a skull clamp affinity deck <laughs> no it's not <laughs> yeah pretty unreal i've been playing against affinity a surprising amount in modern leagues in modern yeah. yeah i think that deck's on an uptick i'm not sure why exactly it's fun it's just, i don't know it doesn't read as like different or more powerful than anything that's like going on i think it's elsewise i think you should just play hammer time if you're gonna like choose to lose the force of figure. saga deck like okay, that kind yeah. of yeah anyways we hit on everything important and nothing unimportant at all it's just all yeah we got today yeah we got standard design talk uh you know the standard of old against other standards of old Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's complete a sponsor shout out i think we've done everything yeah for sure well thanks everybody so much for listening we really really appreciate your time if you'd like to lend us some support head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast if you want to find us on social media i am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter i am at lee mccleo that's it for us thanks so much and have a great week spooky week have a spooky week it's not halloween yet it's it's Halloween month. You gotta like celebrate it month round if you're doing it right. I guess so. All right. That's why I don't have any decorations up. Have a spooky <laughs> week. Ooh. Goodbye. Goodbye.